Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. In the lead up to Australia Day, as we celebrate all things Australian, our products, our landmarks, our heritage, as we remember and respect the Australian Aboriginals and their incredibly rich culture, we're joined by Alan Minicon, an Aboriginal and Australian South Sea Islander. And we're really privileged to have an insight into his life as an Indigenous Australian. The good times, why his life spiralled downwards with alcohol, and the day that he cried for four hours. Grew up in a, out in the bush, um, probably about nine miles from a little township called um, Kamala. It's an Aboriginal name. I, um, I remember, I think it was about um, seven, seven to 11 years old, I um, went to primary school on a, on a bus and um, it took probably an hour and a half or two to get to school. Incredible. And my um, my upbringing was uh, my bathtub was the creek. Your bathtub? Yeah, my bathtub was the creek. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had we had the outhouse, the toilet that you had to empty once a week. Oh, the good old Aussie outhouse, eh? The old Aussie out outhouse. Yeah. Beautiful. We had one of those in. Uh, in Brisbane, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, my um, my wife talks about that with um, some of her family. They used to have the truck that goes around and empties it. Em- used to empty it. Yep. But we used to do it ourselves. You know, dig the hole. Kidding. Um, just up the up a bit from where the toilet was. Wow. My mum and dad um, are my role models because they they supported. Us, where there was ten of us, ten children, five boys and five girls. Dad's deceased. He passed away in two thousand and four, December the seventh. But um, he was. They were so so supportive of all the children. Mum had actually had a stroke um, when she was younger, and she um, one of her breasts um, didn't work, and she had to pretty much much breastfeed us all the children on one side, you know. Right. Um, and we we lived out in the bush for, for that many years, and I remember playing a lot of sport, and um, mum and dad never, I never ever saw mum and dad um, really have a, 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 a huge argument, an argument to the point of um, exchanging of blows or anything like that, you know. Yeah. So the, the household was very... Very supportive and quiet. We used to go out on the weekends, either fishing or hunting, and that helped provide for food on the table, you know. What did you catch and how did you catch it and how old were you? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I when I was about seven, from that out there in the bush, I, I, I um, Dad taught me how to use a rifle and what to um, what to shoot and how to shoot. You know, we, we go out for, for um, turkeys or um, ducks kangaroos. And you were seven? From seven to 11, yeah. Wow. We were growing up like that and then we'd go out, then on some weekends we'd go fishing in the creek, you know, and Dad would take the net or we'd go fishing with the hand lines and it'd be a whole day. So we'd either catch fish or crabs and bring it back home. Through the Christmas period, you'd almost um, know that it was going to, there was going to be like lots of rain and um, we'd be cut off for a few weeks. So they were the times when we'd have to walk into town, you know, go walk through swollen creeks and that just to get in and get our flour and rice and a few other things and then 
the shopkeeper would actually bring us back to a creek where he couldn't get across with the vehicle, and then we'd walk from there back into back to home. So the the distance from home to the shops, how long did that take? About nine miles, um, dirt road. How long did it take to walk it? Oh, a few hours. It'd be a day. It'd probably take a day for the whole trip. Wow. And can you imagine today uh, <laughs> that in our culture, if I think, oh, listen, honey, I'm just going up to the shops. Uh, I'll be back tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and can you imagine a rifle in the hands of, our, uh, of a seven-year-old? Well, no, not today, no. What a different culture. Yeah, well, it was just something you just grow up with, you know. Yeah. What town was that called, the one that you walked to? Kamala. And so you'd go out shooting? Yes, yeah, yeah, from home, go out shooting just to get a kangaroo or something for our food or turkeys. But they, they were day trips, you know, on the weekends, those ones. Yeah. But then I'd take the rifle of an afternoon and um, go out and get a kangaroo and drag it home. Gosh. Hang it up on the hook and, and um, you know, take a leg off so we could cook it up. Oh, my goodness. My brothers and that were doing that as well. Um, but, yeah. but that's part of our upbringing, you know. It was like, you just you just think everybody does that. What years were they? So I was born in 61, so this would have been about 68. Okay, so I'm pretty much the same as you, and at the age of seven I'm playing with Lego in my living room and um, running around the yard kicking a soccer ball. And you're out there <laughs> shooting kangaroos, hauling them back and cutting them up. Yes. Isn't that an extraordinary yeah. comparison? Oh, we've, we've all, nearly always got a Shanghai in our hands. You know, the Shanghai's, are, I think they're illegal these days. But yeah. nothing we'd kill with a Shanghai or, or a rifle was for fun. We learned that from, from our young age. And, and everything had to be safe. Because we were living so far away from home, from, from town, we'd have to make sure that... Um, that rifle would, was unloaded and whether it was on safety or um, with the bolt out when we were walking through and the rifle was always facing down, down into the ground, you know. That was the way our father taught us because it had to be safe. Everything had to be safe around. And then until the time that comes that we're going to shoot something, that whatever we're going to shoot, we're going to eat it. And... Um, that's the way we were. And we know, there was never an accident. We didn't have an accident. There was no, um, yeah, nobody accidentally shot or anything like that. Wow. So let's fast forward. What happened for you to start getting involved in alcohol and drugs? Um, I lacked a lot of self-confidence within myself. Um, and um, I, I, I was a very, very nervous person. And when I got into high school, we moved... We moved from Kamala to Serena, which is another bigger, just outside of Serena, probably a couple of k's out. When I got to high school, I started mixing with a different group of youth, um, and we got involved with um, alcohol. Just I started to yeah, experiment with alcohol about when I was thirteen, year eight. Yeah, right. Year eight, nine, and ten, I, and then we we used to have these. Um, Oh, school dances, and I couldn't, I couldn't um, get to go to a school dance without being under the influence, and neither could a lot of the men or the young fellas that I was with. So we'd actually um, head off around to one of the 
pubs and one of the older ones would go in and get some alcohol and or, uh, spirits for us and we'd wipe ourselves, pretty much almost wipe ourselves out and go into the um, the school dance like that, you know? Yeah. But um, some some nights I couldn't just, I was legless, so I just wiped myself out and my brother would have to take me home. Really? But, um, yeah, and then once I left school at 15, I, I, um, I got into the same, some of the same ones that went to school with, and then we started to sort of look into um, the drug side, you know. And, um, yeah, before too long, I was addicted to it. Couldn't do without it. Which particular drug? Um, well, most of it out there in that country town was marijuana. Right. Hash. And um, and we just either wipe ourselves out with all that, with um, spirits and everything, you know. So it was a daily thing. It was like a breakfast, lunch, and tea for us, you know. Really. And we had the opportunity to even in our workplace we could we could do it without being caught. So we were working, and um, there was never a time when we were sober on that job, either off our face with something, you know. What were you doing? Um, working on the railway. I actually worked on the railway under a different name because um, I was too young. I didn't want to go to school after 15 and I didn't want to be sitting on the dole as a dole bludger. Back then it was a really like a, oh, you're isolated from people when you're, when you're on the dole. Yeah. And I thought, no, I don't want to. And I had no intentions of being unemployed. So um, I approached um, the railways because um, I could play sport and they said, well, if you play footy for us, we'll give you a job. Really? So I just changed my name and changed my um, age and... I'm working at 15, yeah. What what, what name did you use? <laughs> I used the name um, Wayne Hand. <laughs> <laughs> and people, would, people who knew me, the, the people who I worked with called me Wayne and the guys that um, knew me from school or from the town called me Alan. So the, the, big, the boss that I was working under said, hey, is your name Alan or Wayne? That's funny. <laughs> I said, it's Alan. I said, well, where do you get Wayne from? I said, well, I have to work under another name because I'm underage. And you're very handy for them. Yes. What were you doing on the railways? Um, I was on, on the navvies, um, swinging sledgehammers, you know, putting putting um, sleepers in new rails or sleepers in. Kidding me. Yeah. Wow. 15, it was hard work. And, At um, the age of 15, what tough taught work. Taught some really good disciplines from the bosses that I worked under, you know, and it took took me some of those some of those um, life skills that I learned back then I still learn and teach today with people that I work with and the youth that we look after and let me compare my life to yours at the age of 15 I'm sitting at home reading Richie Rich comics and being driven into high school and uh, and you're using a sledgehammer and putting rail sleepers in on a train line <laughs> up north at the age of 15. Incredible, isn't it? The comparison. It is. And you were, and you were even high when you were doing it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. There was, I don't think we had too many sober days in those years um, of addictions. Wow. No. Was that alcohol and marijuana that was a breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Marijuana. As soon as you, as soon as you wake up, you, um, you, on, we normally get onto get onto the drugs. Wow. Easy, accessible, and and um, and it was pretty much. We were okay to do it there, wherever we were, you know. 
that carried us through every day. And then you got married? You were living with someone, or what was the story? Yeah, yeah. I had a um, girlfriend, um, and we we had a child. Yeah, AJ. It was 1985. Uh, we got married. But before that, just before that, I started to get this sort of um, inner sense of wanting to go to church. Really? You know, there was a sort of a, yeah, an inner calling that's, that I had. That's how you can explain it, right? Yeah. Can you explain what it felt like? Just an urge, I guess, was it? Yeah, an urge, yeah. It was a, like something was drawing, talking on the inside, saying, you need to go to church. And it was like a drawing, because I, I, through that time, I remember thinking about, what am I doing to myself? You know, where where is this going to lead me? And so we we got married in 1985, October, and it was not long after that I mentioned to my wife, because we, we were partner at the time, we were really up and down and all over the place with our relationship. And I'd never been in a, I didn't know a relationship like that because my parents never fought, you know, never yeah. had arguments. But because I was, I was addicted to this, the, these substances, my partner was always arguing with me, you know, and um, I didn't know how to deal with all that. And so um, I was so glad that I, I never, I never um, came back to the house. Um, I was living away for work. I'd only come back on the weekends, you know, Friday night, and then Saturday and Sunday, and then I'd go back. And that gave me the, the freedom to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. But um, it was during that time in eighty in 85, coming up to Christmas, and it was just not long after we got married that I said, I, I think I need to go to church. And she turned around and she just laughed because it was like, that just doesn't even make sense to me, you know, <laughs> because of the way we work. That's funny. Yeah, so um, it was probably a couple of weeks or um, fortnights later that I got up one Sunday morning and I just just had a big night of, you know, with my mates there. And um, I just got up and got dressed and I went to church. Still high and still spinning out from the night before. But I walked into church and um, I sat up the back I remember walking in. I sat up the back because I had didn't didn't really know anybody there, and I just sat there and I listened. That's it. That was all. And the, and then at the end, he he asked if anybody wanted a prayer to come forward. And I didn't even I've never been in a church like that before, and so, but I actually got up in front of everybody and walked to the front of that, you know. And I don't know how many people were there, but um. In the condition that I was, I walked to the front and I sat down on one of the front chairs. Really? And all these people, men, like um, older men, came around me and and um, asked me if I needed prayer and I, I didn't know what, even what to answer, you know, but I just nodded my head and they started to pray. Well, I don't know, really know what actually happened, but I... When that man was talking, it was like he was talking to me. Yeah. It was like he was, he knew my whole life, the way he was explaining something from the Bible, and it was, he was actually really cutting into my my being, you know? Yeah. And I responded to that, 
And when they prayed for me, um, I started to cry, and I, I, I remember crying non-stop. I couldn't stop myself from crying, and I just wept uncontrollably for about four or five hours. Wow. I, I cried, and cried there till the end, and then I walked out, and I continued to cry until I went home, and I continued to cry. I sat on the on the chair at the kitchen table, and, and I cried, and I couldn't explain, I couldn't say anything to my partner, wife at the time, why, what was happening, and I just cried. <laughs> and then when I did, it was like a whole burden had lifted off me, you know. Amazing. And it was, that was the transformation. All those addictions on my life had gone. Really? Everything. And um, I was still working on the railway at the time, and um, because I, I would, I'd be getting a lift from from the town I was now in, Mackay, to Serena, and by the time we got from Mackay to Serena, well, we were either high or drunk or both, you know. And sitting in the car that morning, and they're asking me, the guys, you know, come on, time for a session because we're going to going to work. And I was like, no, I just don't want to. They said, what? What's going on with you? I said no. I went to church, and something's happened. I don't know, and I couldn't. I couldn't explain it. Wow. I just said no. I don't even want to. I don't even want anything, any of that anymore. And that was it. The change had happened on the inside, and um, yeah, the the addictions on my life just went that day, and um, never returned again. Eh? That's Alan Minicon, an Aboriginal and Australian South Sea Islander. Today he's the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community development worker for the Salvos. If you'd like to contact him, I'm sure he would love to chat with you. Just send us an email from our website, salvos.org.au forward slash radio. Light and life from the Salvos.